nice little uh, new intro for our fresh season of A New Lens. It's good to be back, man. Welcome. Yeah, it is <laughs> Welcome good to be all back. of you. It's good to be back with uh Oh, no, I was just, just welcoming you listeners. specifically, Calvin. <laughs> okay. Welcome back okay. to my laptop screen. It's oh, good to thanks, see you. <laughs> good to hear you. <laughs> um, man, it's been a while, and we don't do the intro sequence for our uh, movie episode, so there's so much that I've watched that... I could talk about in this, but there's really only one thing I want to touch on briefly, and we've even talked about it before. Like, there's no need to talk about this, but the Great British Bake Off is. I'm glad that oh, you're bringing that it's up because that was maybe exactly show. what I was going to talk about too. And the last, yeah. this recent season just finished. Yep. And what a great, like, oh man, I, I was I was so emotional from start to finish yeah, of, of that last say. episode. Um, you know, seeing the the people weeded down. I mean, Ermine should have totally been there. Spoilers, sorry yeah. for anybody listening. Probably should have prefaced that, but uh, yeah, I mean, spoilers for those last episodes. Oh, Fuck that. that but that, other than that, <laughs> especially that little last section where they're like, "What the people have been doing," and you can see people from throughout the show like meeting up safely afterwards and like maintaining friendships and like the fact that they all came together to do this safely for us so that we could have this in this time is just ah. Oh. Gets me, gets me feeling. It's things. one of those few shows that you can watch for comfort. That's not an animated kids show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> you know no, what totally. I mean? Like all my comfort shows are like, like you said earlier. We t- we're texting about it. Like Gravity Falls is a comfort show, yep. and Avatar, but also The Great British Bake Off for some oh, reason. Yeah. And I was one of those people that held off for a very long time. And you've heard all of the things everybody has to say about it. So nothing I would say is new, but. For those people who are like, I mean, I know it's great, but I don't know, sh- like, should I really invest my time? Yeah, you you will not, you will not be disappointed if you invest your time in watching a great British baking show. Hundred uh, percent. The thing I wanted to talk about, I think, is great for this upcoming holiday season. Now that we've dipped into this, I mean, I don't know actually, is it snowing there yet? Uh, it snowed a while ago. We've got our second fall. Yeah. Well, (laughs) you know, know, well, we're in the people are watching Christmas movies now. Yeah. I checked out uh, that Netflix original uh, Jingle Jangle. Yeah, I've heard that's really good. Whitaker. That's like on most of the every. You know how everyone on Netflix has their own. Apparently, it's like an algorithm thing. Like you have your own posters based on what kind of movies you watch. So like if you watch a lot of Jake Gyllenhaal movies, your Zodiac (laughs) poster will be of Jake Gyllenhaal. You know what I mean? Right, sure. So for me, it's Forrest Whitaker, but I don't know if it's (laughs) someone else. on. Someone else for someone. But that's who I keep seeing his face, and I I really like Forrest Whitaker. So I checked it out, and it's fucking, it was awesome. Like I I don't want to overhype it because it was just a very lighthearted kids movie musical. But there yeah. just aren't that many of those that feel like there's passion behind the production. Sure. Like, there was so much, like, cool production shit. And that's all I really... I don't want to talk <laughs> yeah, about it too much. Because it was one of those things that I was surprised by. And I'd like other people to be surprised by it, too. Thinking you're going to just watch some, like... You know, I don't want to hate on this movie, but that Kurt Russell... Or, not Kurt... Yeah, I think it's Kurt Russell, the... Christmas oh, the Chronicles. Yeah, the yeah, right. There's something about it that just feels like a mix between a Hallmark movie and a Netflix original and some stuff is like I like some stuff about it and it's yeah. it's lighthearted, it's fine, most kids will like it. But this was like 
I would have liked to have this on my roster of kids' movies growing up. You know what I mean? One of the main things I've heard about it for some reason from multiple people is that it's like the costumes is one of the main things being talked about, which I love when, uh, you know, sides of the production that people don't necessarily usually talk about mainly get recognition like that. So that's very cool. Yeah. Uh, There's a lot of very cool production stuff, like very like. You know, like gears turning and yeah, the way yeah, yeah. like a book opens and then like it's yeah, it's all cool. Yeah. Well loved it. Uh we have a very special episode here to kick off our season three. Um for the first time we are featuring uh someone from another podcast, actually one very, very similar to this one. If you don't know of it and you haven't already uh checked out that little blurb I, I released to let you know uh when the next episode was coming. Uh Creator and co-host of the Avatar podcast, which, again, very similar to what we're doing here, uh, Tyler Strandberg is here with us today. Hello. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks. Uh, It's great to be here. Oh, the You know, the stereotypical (laughs) interview exchange. (laughs) You got to get it in there. Um, So what we usually do here with our guests is ask them, what type of bender they think they are. So I will pose that question to you. Well, I always like kind of associate bender with the horoscope, zodiac, whatever. Oh, sure. Um, Ooh, so like I'm that. an earth sign. Um, okay. But I really don't feel like I'm an earth bender. Um, <laughs> yeah. There's kind of a lot of aspects that go into it. You know, like earthbenders are usually born in the spring, but mine, my birthday's in the winter. So sure. most realistically, I would probably be a non-bender. I'd probably be born <laughs> in the earth kingdom and just not get any okay. bending. Yeah, sure. Um, if I could pick one for myself, though, I would say waterbender. Um, yeah. I'm not a very go-with-the-flow kind of person, but, you know, that's, I'm not, um, don't really associate with any of the other ones. I've always thought that <laughs> sure. waterbending is pretty cool. Um, I always like kind of the push and pull, the give and take of it. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. So sort of, uh, uh, cognitively addressing the spiritual connection to waterbending, but realistically more like a cabbage guy kind of. Yeah, <laughs> kind honestly, of that's probably accurate. <laughs> um, I mean, he's one of the best characters on the show, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. So, uh. And you know what? I didn't even really, th- I never really think about it, but yeah, Cabbage Guy is from the Earth Nation. Like yeah. he's, you don't think about like Nation, people being vendor. from, yeah. He's, just a, <laughs> he's a vendor instead of a bender. You're an well, Earth also, vendor. Because yeah, a lot of, you know, like I, I think about the show having like a lot of refugees coming from different places, but like most of them are Earth Nation, you know? Yeah. Like, like 99% of them, right? Like there are a couple Water Nation people maybe, but. Yeah, yeah, well, the show like, focuses the... a lot on benders, too. And, like, there's a large population that just can't bend, you know? Yeah, right. Uh, it's a vital uh, aspect of this incredible show. And I think it's about time we get into it. You're listening to A New Lens. It's a podcast Gary and I started to talk about film and television that we liked as kids through the new lens of adults and amateur filmmakers. Uh, We have been doing Avatar, The Last Airbender, episode by episode, uh, intermittent with movies, and we are finally opening up season three, episode one, The Awakening. It's bittersweet to be here, and this is a bittersweet episode to kind of like hammer yeah. that nail in you know what i mean like i, I started that. the i started the season and i was like wow we're here 
And then the episode feels like that too. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Uh, and to, to kind of get into that, I'll, I'll do a little quick recap. Um, so basically we shift between Aang awakening <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> sorry, uh, there's a dad in me somewhere. Uh, <laughs> we shift between Aang awakening and Zuko returning home, home to the Fire Nation specifically. Mm. Aang's plot line revolves around feeling the need to redeem himself for his failure at the end of the last season, which is what he considers it. And Zuko struggles with the fact that his father and nation consider him redeemed. So it's like all about their them struggling with redemption. Um, the episode culminates with Zuko actually seeing his father and with Aang coming to terms with his current place in things. I think that's kind of a basic run th- rundown of the episode. I didn't want to get too detailed. And the episode didn't feel that detailed. Like this is, you know, sometimes you watch an episode of the show and you're like, all that happened? Yeah. This is one of those where it's very subtle. It's like not much happens, but it doesn't it doesn't feel slow. There's a lot of it, details it goes... to talk about. It's sort of an all or nothing sort of Right. Yeah, yes. when I was taking my yeah. notes for this, it was pretty hard for me to just kind of like type out all of my thoughts because like not a lot was happening, but I was like, "Oh, there's so much going on like behind the scenes yeah. and like what they're thinking and how they're feeling and it's hard to kind of capture all of that as the show's moving along." Yeah, it, it gives great opportunity too for um the the filmmaking of this show to really shine. There's so many moments in the sound design and the voice acting and the imagery and the animation that I want to point out in this episode because they really shine in this one. Mm-hmm. Opening up, you always have to watch the intro of long ago the four nations lived in harmony and then everything changed when the fire nation attacked. You have to watch it. Um, as I was watching. You, you know, we Gary, we talked about after the the Guru episode when he breaks through the chakra that we see the flashback of him standing on the, you know, cliffside that we see in the opening every time. And you were like, yeah, we will see that through a new context. I, I was just r- reminded of that as I saw it this time. And I was like, yeah, but that's now kind of a memory. Like we will learn that even through a newer lens (laughs) in this season like it's it's uh how he felt before he had kind of come to be the avatar and that's what that signaled but um but now it's yeah kind of got this episode like grounds that yeah feeling it's like it, it goes from him being like a superhero to like you know, it's like Logan, you know what I mean? Like, sure. Oh, shit. It's not that great being a superhero, maybe, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this first actual shot, we've got this orange, you know, lens, this orange film over the uh, over everything. And we see Aang with hair, which immediately is so jarring to us. I mean, it's it's a very good. Yeah. The first, first like two minutes of this really episode are like, of what, what, yeah. <laughs> what? It's yeah. like one after another. And I mean, with with the cliffhanger that we were left off with, I mean, he was flying away and Katara saved him, but we got no other context other than the last words of the Earth King saying the Earth Kingdom has fallen. So what happened? And I think the structure of the beginning of this is so smart a way to do that. Aang has been unconscious for weeks now and here he is waking up and he needs to be informed which helps us be informed um to see a lot of really important 
and really well animated and well written cool things happen without having to like have episodes going through all that action yeah i think it really puts the viewer in the place of ang's shoes like you're right we wake up and we see him with hair and immediately we're kind of like what's going on um and as viewers who have seen this before we know everything is going to be okay but your first time watching it you're like worried you're you see him on a fire nation ship it's like what's what happened to him um i also want to touch on how i think it's just really sad and i think it goes into ang's kind of um PTSD and like trauma especially associated Mm. with war that he wakes up in a fire nation ship and he's incredibly damaged like he can't he can barely walk and his instinctual reaction is I need to escape right and the way he staggers down these halls as he immediately breaks out of his his room usual glider something that allows him to fly as a walking staff like he's done it before as a joke when he's pretending to be Pippin paddle apps watts whatever. <laughs> right. I almost had yeah. it like in my head. Pips I was like, paddle apps say it. Wapple. Yeah, oh, I would. But have it, to go it back. you lose. It. But you know, now he really is like he. If you put a side by side comparison of that caricature he created with how he is now, it wouldn't be that yeah. much different. Right. And He's using it as a crutch now instead of something that helps him. Um, and he is totally the guy that would recognize. Uh, smeller be in the duke's voices you know what i mean right like, but he's clearly I, in a state it's done in a really clever way where they use a voice that's like hey get over here <laughs> you know so like it yeah. could be just some like big fire nation guard but right. we're in the state that ang is in so we don't trust it and he doesn't trust it but once you realize like what's going on it's like that's one of the most recognizable voices on the whole show. You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. Totally. But but they really put you, like Tyler said, in the shoes of Aang. And especially with these sort of POV shots as he's getting his bearings and they're sort of crooked and seeing the, you know, the crooked shots of the banners help express the the shock at that. And then the sort of handheld effect with a little bit yeah. of like focus coming in and out helps you get in his shoes of his damaged state and just sort of waking up in this fog, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he bursts out onto the deck and the thing that makes him realize that this is not what he's thinking is Momo is there. Momo? And he's there uh, next to Hakoda and Bato and um, immediately Toph and Katara notice that he's awake and you're awake and uh you're finally awake and he says are you sure <laughs> like is this some sort of weird dream and we kind of feel like that like is this a dream sequence what's going on you're all wearing fire nation stuff um and then Sokka in in the metal helmet approaches him <laughs> and <laughs> uh that's what really does it and uh he faints from from the shock of all of this and we get this great wide shot of the ship that they're on fading over to the royal ship that Zuko is on both you know making sort of uh treks of their Got own the the fading there's a lot of fade in and fade yeah. outs like the editing in this episode is done in a yeah the fading transitions are done really well in this episode and that's such an easy one to cheese up like yeah. fading can be so easily like I don't know. Like it it's it's a really hard one to pull off and when it's pulled off, it's always so 
cinematic to me. Yeah. And it this one in particular, just like, oh, Zuko looking at the moon. Like, as much as I can dive into everything that's going on in his head, I'm also just like... As a man who appreciates a good-looking image, <laughs> it just yeah. fades into this like badass, like oh, it just the colors and, and the, the uh, oh, his with hair the audio is, like, a little longer the, now. The tsungi horn that we've heard before, yes. which is a fake instrument, I forget exactly what they use. It it, it sounds uh, like sort of a mixed clarinet, but but um, he's not with Iroh, so yeah. you know that like Iroh is in his head because that tsungi horn. It it really like ah oh. yeah. Well, there's a lot of parallels between Aang and Zuko throughout the entire series, as we've seen, and I think that mm-hmm. this episode. Um, use of fades between the two is really well done because often we see it fading between Aang directly and then to Zuko Mm -hmm. or something associated with Aang and then something associated with Zuko. Um, So that's really well done here. And especially Zuko's line too. He says, "Um, it's been so long since I've been home. I wonder how it's changed. I wonder how I've changed. You know, like we see there like, yes, he has um, his uncle Iroh on his mind, but he's also considering like, what has Iroh taught me and how am I changed as a person? Is this still what I'm going to want when I get home? Is this still everything that I hoped it would be? Or have I grown beyond this? Is there something bigger and more important to me now? Yes. It's also so satisfying to hear him express those thoughts after the decision that he made at the end of season two. You know, there's a little bit of a worry in your mind that you feel like a burst of rage rather than like a a cut in the sand or a a line in the sand. Like he has decided he's a bad guy now. Like, no, he's still not that it's not that simple, not that black and white. He still doesn't fucking know. It's <laughs> yeah. I feel so bad for him, but also feel hopeful, you know? Like this this episode has a lot of diminished hope, but mm. there's something about that line that is the opposite of that. It almost gives me hope him wondering for himself like is yeah. that still in me? Is there a good guy in here? You yeah. Know? Well, we saw that a little bit too like at the end of the Crossroads in Destiny after he made that choice he's talking to azula after the earth kingdom has fallen and he goes like right i betrayed uncle like is this the right thing like what what if like everything's wrong you know and he's starting to question himself immediately after he's done it and of course azula being manipulative <laughs> and just you know fire nation brainwashed is like of course you yep. did uncle's a traitor even though yep. that's not what zuko has seen that's not what zuko knows iroh to be right what do you two think about how May handles this? I mean, she is kind of just like a, I don't want to deal with anything. Let's just like, everything's fine. Stop worrying. I love May's character because it start. This is the start of May's character arc. We've met her and gotten to know her as part of that like fire trio that we, the the Frio. Uh, can we and can we join like, Frio? Is that what you're about to add? She's got like a she's got like Frio it is. She's got like a uh you know like a a badass side character thing going on. Sure. But now that she's just they've decided like okay, she's Zuko's girlfriend. Like that's how we're going to introduce her in this season. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is a, a the beginning of a new character arc for her, showing her um, I think the word would be complacency. She just kind of like sure. She is she like Azula is totally brainwashed by the Fire Nation, but she's not inherently evil, and we see the difference in that here. She's like, right. hey, everything's fine. I'm pretty sure. Just kiss me. I know that us is right. Let's move on from 
Because I think her trying to move on from that quickly is almost like her realizing if she thinks about it too much, it mm. is super fucked up. Because isn't her dad like a pretty important guy in the? I forget. In, I think we get more within the Fire Nation, that. so I'm sure yeah. she's been mixed up in some fucked up shit. So. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like this moment almost shows us that first, like, step towards her kind of trying to brush it off herself, you know? Mm. Yeah, her dad is a governor who was put in charge of Omashu um, right. once the That's Fire Nation right. took it over. Um, and I think that this line here just really emphasizes how much she doesn't get it, you know? Like, she really yeah. doesn't understand what Zuko is going through. And she thinks, like, he's just being anxious or, like, worried, like, oh, no, is my dad right. going to like me again? But it's, <laughs> sure. like, no, he's <laughs> really... He's worried he betrayed, like, his loving uncle and, like, is going and himself. to... He's evil now. And, like, yeah, and is, he's yeah. really wondering if he made the right choice. And she yeah. kind of just brushes it off as, like, you're worrying when he's yeah. facing some pretty deep-seated questions about who he is right now. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Like at this point, she almost seems to be a character who just doesn't think about things at that level yet. Yeah, right. As far as we know, because like I said, this almost feels like the beginning of an arc for her. Like maybe she hasn't decided to dive into those ideas yet and even consider them, you know, as like something to worry about. She's like, why would I worry about that? Right. And I think that's just so clear with how she kisses him afterwards, too. She's just like, Mm. we're right together. So that's all you need to worry about. (laughs) It's like, come on, there's other things that people can think about. We are multidimensional people. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, We we do cut back at this point to Aang and Katara on the ship, and she's trying to talk him through it. He's, you know, expressing all these what's going on thoughts, and she's saying, you need to slow down. You, there's a lot to take in here. You were very hurt. Um, and she calms him down a little bit and she says, I like your hair. And th- he hasn't touched his head. He hasn't realized, I have hair? <laughs> he touches his head. <laughs> How long was I out? And so we get, uh, it's a smooth way to give context that it's been a couple, it, it's been a few weeks, I think is what she said. Um, so I'm guessing like three weeks time has passed, which also would, th- th- to get that much hair, um, I think, uh, that makes sense about about three weeks but hakoda tries to introduce himself and uh she's like we're fine dad clearly a lot of aggression going on and uh this is the beginning of of this uh sort of character arc story in in this episode which again i think with not a whole lot in the plot happening in this episode you have more opportunities to have very deep character connections and character stories that feel important to the plot uh, yeah they uh, so i was just gonna say this this is something that while it's happening you're wondering kind of what's going on mm-hmm. like hakoda is and then yeah. once it's revealed later which we'll get to it's like oh shit that that was important i needed that right you know? um ang handles this very well and he introduces himself he says you know it's nice to officially meet you um they finish that conversation and uh katara kind of brushes her her dad angrily off again and hank's like why are you mad at your dad she's like mad what i'm not mad at all like she does not even realize that she is behaving in this way um which you know that happens people have not you know can 
not necessarily process the emotions that they're feeling and not understand why they're acting the way or even that they that they are acting um in a certain way so i just think it's so well done um she sees that ang is still pretty in pretty bad shape so she says it's time for a healing session and they go in and she's healing on his on his scar she has these you know sort of water formed around her hands and she's giving him so fucked up here Ooh, this the the flashbacks he gets from interference on this scar on his back also we get to really see it and it's so when you add enough details from enough from as far away of an angle shot as this is it looks even more wrinkled like even just a couple lines but you really see how bad it is and you you it, it feels painful and as soon as she touches it also i want to touch on like it breaks his tattoo like it is a a, a symbolic like breaking of the line that unites his whole body like he is clearly very broken in this time and he gets these flashbacks to the moments and he realizes i wasn't just hurt i was gone which is as close as they i mean as they say in talking directly about it like i was dead they say you know the whole world thinks you're dead but they don't use the word like i was dead i died when talking about my personal experience which i think is smart in a writing way to um give a little distance for kids to not be like what <laughs> like what if i died like that you know i i think it's it's well handled but still you feel the gravity of it like i was gone and you brought me back oh it's just beautiful and katara calms him down in this moment and it's so sweet she just puts a hand on on his cheek and we get this last little tableau of them just together processing that in a very very initial basic way and then we get a hard cut over to these two women and uh the these older sages of the fire nation and the sequence sends chills down my spine as uh, it happens i do want to shout out the the name of this person who voices both uh lo and lee are their names i don't know if they're ever said in the show but um, those are the names of these two sages, and they're both voiced by uh, Takayo Fisher. And these voices are so effective in the role that they play in in this story. These sort of creepy, commanding um, older women that, oh, and they give the context. And it feels like well-delivered context, but also feels like a speech that they would be giving to the Fire Nation army organized in front of this balcony that they're shouting off of and uh they praise azula say she infiltrated the earth kingdom which we know and uh the earth kingdom fell the avatar fell uh and then we get the context of the dai li broke down the walls of ba sing se and we get this animation of them on top of the wall and sliding down creating cracks it makes to so prep much their sense break. it that yeah. is the way that this was going to go down like of course if you can have control over like an army of people who, of earthbenders then the earth wall is mm-hmm. fucking pointless you know and the editing in this sequence honestly is so good because you're thinking the whole time like even though some of this stuff feels 
Like, because, you know, when they're talking about uh, Prince Zuko and what he did, and you're like, ah, that's not, wait a second. <laughs> it's still the, like, editing to literally the couple who had a baby and named their baby Hope. Right. All of them crying together. Yeah. It's like, shit, they just named their baby Hope. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. Like, nothing could hit you harder than that. And it's just deciding to cut in those moments or those right. reactions. I'm like, ugh. It, it's very effective, not only in their, like, terrifying speech, but also in the feeling of just, like... This isn't the usual beginning of a third season where, oh, it yeah, like they failed, but we're fine, mm. starting out okay. Like <laughs> things are not. They fine. failed, and we are starting from the bottom. Yeah, you know. I mean, I think it does such a great job intercutting these bits and pieces with, as you said, the other characters. How, I mean, <sighs> evils is like a very strong word, obviously, but that's what they've made the Fire Nation out <laughs> yeah. to be. But just how wrong this is, you know? How yeah. devastating mm-hmm. it is to all these Earth Kingdom citizens and how the Fire Nation is just further gaining control on the world. And frankly, it's disgusting how they make it out to be as if this is prideful and this is something that they should all be proud of. Like, the Fire Nation yeah. did this amazing thing and they're celebrating it. And you see it contrasted with these oppressed Earth Kingdom citizens fearful for their lives. And it's it's just... It's terrible. It makes me sick. Right. Yeah. Yeah, especially in the fact that they're not just announcing it to, like, war generals. They're announcing it to, like, the public. Like, the Fire Nation city. Like, kids are in this crowd cheering too, you mm-hmm. know? It'd be like us cheering for some war general, you know? Like, in the streets of America. You know, like, it's crazy. <laughs> streets of America. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Let's let's get um... specific. No, but, yeah, like, it, it feels... It does the speech itself doesn't feel like some thing that like oh if you know you were a family brainwashed by the constant I forget the word for it but brainwashing basically yeah. of the Fire Nation it makes Narrative. sense that this speech yeah. would sound heroic you know? it sounds badass propaganda thank you yes, yes. this um, sounds like badassery and it makes it uh, it <laughs> makes it not just terrible but like. It makes me feel ill, you know, knowing that this is taken because this show doesn't come out of a vacuum. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. This doesn't come out, come from nothing. This stuff happens in the real world the mm-hmm. same exact way. too. Yeah. I think that's further contrasted, too, in Azula and Zuko's reactions. I mean, we've talked about mm-hmm. how Zuko is still wow. like throwing back or trying to debate what's right and wrong. And we see Azula march forward and she's very proud to take all of this praise. Like she's yeah. used to it at this point. You know, she's like, yes, I deserve this. Like, this is such a great thing that we did. And Zuko mm-hmm. walks out and he's still very unsure of himself. He's it's very clear that he feels uncomfortable and he doesn't like like all of this praise throwing at him a probably because he feels like he doesn't deserve it he feels like he didn't do anything he also isn't sure if he what he did was right or wrong but also like zuko has lived in the world where the fire nation is oppressing other people as not a fire nation citizen he knows like what they're doing and he's starting to comprehend like how this nation is just like I mean, we've already touched on this before, brainwashed into thinking they're doing something great, but he's lived and experienced that it's very harmful to everyone else. And he probably feels slightly ashamed that he is taking part of this right now. Yeah. Yeah, all of the pride Zuko feels in this moment, if any, is the fact that for the first time in so long, 
people are cheering for him. You know what I mean? It's just Mm -hmm. like, wait a second, is this good or not? But you can, like you said, with such subtle animation too, because I was just scrolling through Netflix to see, I haven't watched it yet because I'm going to wait till we finish it, Korra. Yeah. And it is very detailed. I didn't realize how lacking detail this show was because I've been spending so much time watching it. I've gotten used to it. And just the facial animation alone on the show, like a small line will be an entire emotion. Right. And Mm -hmm. you can see very clearly him go from shame to, wait a second, am I being cheered on? Yeah. To, uh, is this good or not? (laughs) You know what I mean? And it's all in like, a little line in his mouth. That's yep. it. Slight you know, changes I, of the angles of those lines. Yeah. That to me is like really impressive animation. I understand the, uh, um, what it takes to create like a really good action sequence or mm-hmm. movement and like really realistic flow and stuff like that. But subtlety is something I think this show does better than a lot of shows of its time or older because like a lot of older shows need to be subtle to convey things and this is one of those that just hits that out of the park so now we have context of what happened on the fire nation side and what happened in the earth kingdom after the ending of season two and we cut back to Sokka filling ang in again a very good way to give exposition um on what happened on their side what happened with the gang they uh they went back to the water tribe, the Earth King. I love this little bit where the Earth King decided he wanted to go and travel the world. Like after seeing just what was uh, possible in the city that he lived that he'd never actually seen, it sparked something in him and he wanted to go and travel and see the world. Yeah, so. he went all out. He yeah. went from being like in a house for his whole life to the world is his house now. Yeah. <laughs> and I love him and Bosco the bear tear off their their Earth Kingdom garments and he hops on Bosco and they and they trot off. Yeah, do they even have anything? Like he didn't bring like a bag of money with him. He's like going it for it, man. He'll figure it out. <laughs> I mean, I really hate this, but I constantly compare the Earth King to um the recent best picture winner Parasite. Um, and I think there's kind of a fetishization that he's taking in like, I can be a peasant now, even though Mm, he has all of this money and he's experienced his entire life in just like this place of privilege. Um, so that like kind of, I don't want to say bothers me, but it makes me feel uncomfortable that he is able to choose to just throw away all of his wealth. And honestly, knowing that he can probably come back to it whenever he wants. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good Holy point. Holy cow. Yeah, I don't know. I, I like the idea of someone choosing to be able to like see more of the world and expand their horizons and probably see more of how the world actually works, like Zuko has been forced to. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he's able to choose it is that's a very, very good point. Yeah, like on a on a level like when you're looking from a a level of like classes and like how that's possible in like the Earth Kingdom this this would have been something that could have happened before this war, no matter who this guy is. This just happens to be his character, like, in yeah. his heart. Probably a really good dude who, if he knew what was going on this whole time, probably would have been like, yeah, I would prefer to just travel the world than be this guy. Mm-hmm. But the fact that the system in place allows for him to do it, yikes. And that's <laughs> something that Aang kind of just, like, t- like pointed out right away when they got there that's why he hated it because Mm. it's like 
so different from the way the rest of the world works. Yeah. And I hope that this Earth King learns that on his journey and like, I don't know, you know what I mean? Has a little growth and yeah. figures well, that out because he, like everyone in the Earth or like everyone in the Fire Nation, has essentially been brainwashed his whole life. So mm-hmm. this is his only opportunity to even understand that more goes on. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if we really want to draw comparisons, we can compare it to like, you know, mission trips of just like rich people going to <laughs> sure. underdeveloped countries and being Absolutely. like, oh, let me help these poor people. <laughs> yeah. um, but 100%. I don't have the time to get into that. So, <laughs> uh, Yeah, that, that would be a whole podcast episode on its own. We're just going to um, leave that for the listeners to figure out yeah. for themselves. I like the the few shots that we get of them capturing the ship and with the experience as uh warriors that hakoda and the rest of his platoon <laughs> you know his the, the rest of his tribe have uh we just buy that yeah they they took over a ship and uh they captured it i love Sokka holds up a map and we actually get to see you know they've done this a few times in the series where they have a map and they point it out and it gives you an idea of like actually they really are mapping this all out of where in this world that they've created they're going and I love you know we just passed we we just went through the serpent's pass we remember from the serpent's pass it's a big wall but there is that area where it's completely submerged in water so they could have gone through there um and they talk about they've got a new invasion plan Hakoda says and Katara corrects him it's Sokka's invasion plan and oh Hakoda's face is he just kind of right and then (laughs) continues talking oh um uh but we'll get to the resolution of that and Sokka says we're getting together just a ragtag team, a smaller ragtag team to try and infiltrate and still utilize the day of Black Sun and uh, uh, the, the solar eclipse. And uh we even picked up Pipsqueak and the Duke and we get a quick cut to them. Uh and he says we have one more big big thing on our side and that is you, Ang, because the whole world thinks that you're dead. <laughs> And Aang uh, doesn't take that terribly well. He starts freaking out a bit. And Sokka's trying to explain, like, with everyone thinking that you're dead, the Fire Nation is not going to be hunting us anymore. They're not going to be expecting us on the Day of Black Sun. Uh, But Aang is... is, (laughs) He even says, he's like, this is so messed up. (laughs) It's just like, yeah. Yeah. And (laughs) this isn't really interesting, like... uh, perspective thing because we've gotten the perspective of an entire earth nation being taken over who think the avatar is dead we see what that looks like their hope is gone so we know and we've basically been hammered for like the whole show that the point of ang returning as the avatar is to bring hope back to the world right that's why they named their baby hope you know like all of this has been drilled into our heads and now Sokka's point of view is the best thing we can do is to just pretend like you are dead and it works out great for us look it's great we have a fire nation ship we have a plan we can do this all under wraps so like it's all about perspective here Mm -hmm. and it's the first time that it's challenging it's not as simple as Aang is back so he's hopeful so the world can have hope and things can be good it's not as simple as we have a plan we can attack you know, they've got to 
they've got to like risk possibly it's kind of like what boomy did sometimes you have to wait sure yeah. you know what i mean and i think that that's this is very similar to that like everyone literally was like fuck boomy like <laughs> what are we supposed to do here you know <laughs> yeah right maybe you could have let us know but <laughs> yeah, this is a situation uh, where ang yeah. couldn't let people know that he was going to come back to life so they're right. just going to leave it you know right and he does not handle that well Right. I mean, like, Sokka is such a logical person. Obviously, from the start, he's been, like, the plan guy. So mm. it makes sense that he's like, yeah, cool, awesome. Um, <laughs> but Aang is deeply rooted in, like, what he feels is right and wrong, and, like, especially his emotions. Um, and he already feels like he's failed the world once when he ran away after they told him that he was the Avatar and then, you know, all of the right. air nomads were killed. He feels like he failed mm-hmm. the world in that aspect. And now, mm-hmm. especially because the entire world thinks he's dead, like, they've already thought he was dead once and he was gone right. for a hundred years. And now he's doing this again. And he doesn't, he wants to show the world that he's not a failure, that he... He will protect them, and he will, like, defend them and have their backs, but Sokka is here, like, telling him we can't do this right now, and I think it's a really right. nice conflict between the two, and it Absolutely. sets up this really gray area where you can't be 100% on Sokka's side. Like, this isn't a totally great yes. thing, even though it has its advantages, but you can't also be on Aang's side. You can't be, like, you can't just reveal yourself right now, even right. though yeah, that would give hope that to the world. Yeah, especially intro to the episode, seeing how fucked up he is like if you just tried to show yourself one shitty fire nation guy could be like (laughs) take him out you know (laughs) what i mean right the poor bastard is like yeah right and and before he has time to really like uh verbalize or process any of that we get this ship this other fire nation ship and ang immediately is like the avatar is back he's like i want to reclaim this <laughs> and he opens his his glider and immediately you see these like drips of sweat down his face like just opening his glider and getting ready to fly is already taking so much out of him. It's like, you really cannot, you have to stay quiet. And he says, I hate not being able to do anything. And Toph says, well, hopefully you won't have to. Um, they prep for this other ship coming on. I love the way that uh, Pipsqueak rolls up the Duke in a big tarp and then throws <laughs> him over uh, covering Appa. Just, I love that little detail. Um, and they're boarded by these other commanders. And they claim to be from the the Eastern Fleet because these commanders say that uh, all of the ships have been ordered to go towards Ba Sing Se. Uh, so that, that's a pretty good excuse. They say we're from the Eastern Fleet. We're carrying some cargo west. And they say, ah, well, Admiral Chan could have given us a notice of that. And they're like, well, next time we'll send two hawks. We'll send two notices. Make sure you know. And uh, as they walk away... These commanders say Admiral Chan was put on leave two weeks ago. They should have known that. And Toph hears him say, just wait until they're uh, out of out of range and then we'll sink the ship. She goes, they know! And we get this awesome metal-bending moment that we're uh, aware now that she is integrating this new ability of hers into her everyday sort of how she will handle things. She grabs onto the floor in this line of... Uh, 
you know, wrinkled metal stretches out and knocks these commanders off of the, the bridge and into the water. And Katara summons this massive wave in between the, the this like column of water and then spreads it as a wave to separate the two ships so they can get a head start. And we're getting these things of these examples of how their abilities have progressed throughout the show, which we've touched on throughout the whole show, how well they've gradually progressed their abilities. And we see the level that they're at is so masterful. Um, even in just these couple couple moments. Um, but before we get a resolution to that, we cut over to Zuko sitting by the duck pond, feeding these turtle ducks like he used to do with his mother, and clearly just pondering all of the things that are, are going through his head, as we've talked about. And these ducks are happily eating, and this shadow covers them. And that shadow is Azula, and... You know, her figure coming in and casting a shadow over the tranquil scene of these ducks eating, which was a connection he had with his mother. It's all very symbolic. Um, and Zuko expresses And you know like, exactly why the turtle ducks immediately, frighteningly swim away. Right. Because he told, this is how Azula feeds the ducks. Remember in that episode right. with his mom? Yeah. And he threw bread at them. Mm-hmm. So these are probably turtle ducks or at least ancestors of because we don't know the the length of life of these animals but they are literally conditioned to be afraid of azula because she is an abusive person right think about how fucked up that is like yeah it's like a little indication they were fine with who she is with zuko because they could read his character in that Mm -hmm. moment and you know his one slip up as a kid he probably never did anything like that again and they know, like, he's just feeding them. But as soon as Azula shows up, they're like, nye, 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 and they just <laughs> right. run away, you know? It's like, it makes me, that moment makes me really sad. Because I just know, like, either one or all of those ducks have been, like, hit by a giant loaf of bread by Azula. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, animal abuse is often used as, like, a way of showing just, like, pure evil and lack of emotion yeah. or sympathy for others because like when we see humans mistreating other humans um there can sometimes be like a justification with like sure oh well they think that this person wronged them and now blah mm-hmm. blah 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 or like they're brainwashed to believe that this thing and blah 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 right, um right. because humans are complex and they can have different motivations like to attack one another or um mm-hmm. be against one another but like a human against an am- animal is definitely just like a very um one clearly has more power and thinking capacity over the other and so <laughs> yeah, for them right. to use that to abuse something who doesn't know any better and who is just so innocent and pure is often drawn as like a contrast to like she is just straight she has no sympathy she's just straight up evil she has right. no care for other life and I think it's Absolutely. well handled in this as well because they we don't show her like beating up a bunch of ducks or anything, but no. it's definitely implied through all of that. So yeah. it's a power it's a powerful notion that they're using without uh portraying that too explicitly, you know. Right. Um but she she says everything's fine. The avatar is dead, unless there's some way he could have survived. And Zuko has this flashback of Katara giving the context of the water from the spirit oasis. And this is sort of grand scale writing moment linking. It's uh, so cool. Because I already liked that she introed it to him. Yeah. And that he knows about it because it's a thing that, you know, it was such a cool writing moment for her to be like, 
I have this. And then in that moment, having to be pulled away and you being like, no, he could have been healed. And then her needing it in the end of the episode, it was like, whoa, she right. needed it all along. Yeah. Destiny. <laughs> yeah. But now it's like a whole nother moment. You're like, yep. whoa. That you know? scene I don't know. so like, many layers that ripples throughout the show. So yeah. good. But also, how does Azula know? I That's think what I she, wonder. I think she is questioning him in this moment to try and find out if there's any way. And this and is the moment she knows that now. solidifies it for her because she knows how he lies. You know, she can read him. She can tell from, she can read yeah. anyone. She yeah. read the dude with the scar, remember? Right, totally. Um, we get back to the battle of these two Fire Nation ships, these trebuchets with the uh, fiery rocks being thrown. I love Toph shouting, load the Toph! <laughs> and they <laughs> set down a big chunk of rock and uh, she punches out a disc out of it and fires it off. It's a very well done battle. Aang is behind this door frame just wanting to help so bad and Sokka's, uh, you know, pushing him back and saying we can't. I like to think that Aang would just push, push past him and help anyway, but he literally is that weak where Sokka is like, no, you can't. And he's like, shit, I can't get past Sokka right now. Well, you know he almost I mean? does. He He's held back by the logic that Sokka's putting forward, even though he hates it. But eventually he can't take it. And after this spike goes in into the ship and water starts flooding in, Katara freezes it over. But then they uh, fire another uh, rock trebuchet and it smashes up their rocks. Katara gives some cover with this fog. He... Ang can see the situation's not going terribly well, and he's he's like, I have to go and help. And he runs out, and this is one of the filmmaking moments. I just love this little detail. He runs out, and we get a quick cut to this close-up of Sokka grabbing his staff, and then a quick zoom out to this tableau of Sokka stopping Ang and saying, you can't, please just let us handle this. Which is also like, this whole show has been about Aang and the rest of the gang. And it's all, they're all growing, but it has been about Aang's journey to save everyone. But they have all grown and become competent in their own ways as well. And you need to be able to trust us to handle this. Um, I just love how that's, how that's portrayed here. Uh, Katara starts putting out these fires with streams of water on the ship. Uh, and Sokka's, Sokka's just like, things really couldn't get much worse. And then the serpent bursts out of the water behind him. He's like, why does the universe always need to sh prove me wrong? Toph just says, well, you make it too easy. Uh, <laughs> but luckily, this other ship fires uh, a trebuchet at the serpent's head. So that's the ship that the serpent goes for, traps this ship, and they're able to get away. And Sokka just says, thank you, universe. <laughs> or I think he says, thank you, the universe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> funny way to phrase that but um then we get a cut over to them docked in this town and ang is in his room the crew comes in and says uh we're gonna go into town to get some dinner ang looks down at his stomach we get that little stomach gurgle audio blip and um and he says yeah i think that'd be good and Sokka hands him this headband and says here put this around your head so that it no one will see the arrow and Aang absolutely refuses. He says, no, I'm not going out unless I can wear my arrow proudly, which um, is an indicator to this whole process that he's going through men mentally as well, but also just an indicator of 
his upbringing and his character. Like this is something spiritually and personally very important to him. These these tattoos are symbolic to how he approaches the world and accepting yeah, of like, himself. And to say you need to hide that is so against everything he's ever learned. Yeah, him him earlier exclaiming, I have hair, didn't just feel like embarrassment. It right. felt like this doesn't, this can't be a thing. Like I yeah. need to shave, you know? And I'm surprised he hasn't yet. You know, you can tell <laughs> yeah. there was probably a conversation behind the scenes where he was like, hey, where's my... Uh, whalebone razor that you guys let me right. bring from the water right. tribe and Sokka yeah. was like I threw it off the ship you know there <laughs> right, was probably sure. uh, some conversation about that yeah Sokka also has hair on the sides of his head we, he has a full head of hair now which is the first time we've seen that in the series just wanted to make so sure yeah that probably that. is exactly what happened yeah I mean, probably <laughs> um, but Katara tells them to go ahead into town to get dinner and she's going to talk with him for a moment. She says, I think I realize why this is so hard for you. You don't want people to think that you failed. And he says, yes, but the problem is that I did fail. I I failed. The Earth Kingdom has fallen. When the world needed me, I was not able to, to, to combat that. And, uh, you know, we've touched on this struggle a little bit, which is why I'm, you know, going through it a little quicker. But... Um, he says he hates the invasion plan as well, and I want to shout out uh, the voice actor, Zach Tyler Eisen, again, because it's so believable, this frustration he's going through. I think it's so well portrayed. I think an angry child is something that can be not necessarily portrayed the best, or you know, you see the performance in it, but this all feels very genuine. Um, and I think you've also, we've been able to hear him progress as a voice actor, as a child voice actor, <laughs> to be able to put forward the notions that he's talking about and have it feel very genuine, I think is something that Zach Tyler Eisen in the first few episodes, you know, he had a, a few moments that were effective, but I think this is much more complex than that, you know? Yeah, I definitely. I definitely shouted out his voice acting um, when we covered the desert and he was going through like yeah. the grief of losing Appa and it didn't just seem like this angry kid like, I can't do this. It was <laughs> yeah. like a very real anger that he was feeling and it just, it hits you emotionally very hard and I think it gives credit to him. He was like 12 or 13 when he recorded this too. Yeah. So like, yeah. wow. it's, I mean, you know, it's hard for a kid to tap into emotions that they are not personally feeling and the fact right. that he's able to do that and make it so realistic it just blows my mind yeah like this show has some young voice actors playing young people don't uh animated series and movies often cast older like actors that have young oftentimes, sounding yeah. voices yeah oftentimes and for young that... boys they'll have women voice them mm -hmm. that see that just immediately makes me like I'm happy they went that route and that it was pulled off, yes. you know, because from the first, like you were saying, from the first few episodes, you could be like, ah, that, this will work. But where they needed him to go, like, whew, they got lucky, you right. know? Mm -hmm. um, now the argument is presented uh, by Aang that doesn't quite line up in my head. I, I can see it. It makes sense why he'd come to this conclusion, I think, uh, just in the emotions that he's feeling. But... That he needs to do this alone is a little bit baffling to me that that's the conclusion he would come to. The root behind it is he wants to redeem himself. It's a personal issue that that he's trying to remedy with that solution. 
But do you think if you're looking at maybe it, like, a you need the whole crew. Root in the fact that the reason shit was hard, like he couldn't just be in the Avatar state because he hadn't let Katara go, hmm. and then he could have, you know, maybe he's like interesting, slightly realizing that, that his connections with these people have been like a reason he hasn't been able to just fucking go and do it. But I think the end of the episode really reminds him how wrong he is about that. Um, but maybe, yeah, like in this moment, he's thinking like, you know, I care too much about you guys to be able to just be sure. a stone cold badass. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, cause that's kind of yeah. what he thinks in this moment. I think he thinks he needs to be just a badass and like go kill mm. the fire Lord, you know? But that's not necessarily true. It's maybe what the prophecy or whatever his like destiny seems to be, but he's still kind of coming to terms with that, you know, and it's yeah. hard to do that with like a gang of people loving you that you love too, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that he's clearly, he's clearly going through it. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> he's struggling around a lot he's right a now. <laughs> Um, but, you know, the show does such a great job at drawing parallels between Aang and Zuko, as I said earlier in this episode, and, you know, Zuko's story started off that he has to do everything by himself, you know, he has to capture Mm. the Avatar, and obviously he has his uncle with him, but, like, he can't accept help from others, like, he needs to do this alone, even when they're in the Northern Water Tribe, like, he goes after the capture of the Avatar by himself, and he sneaks off the ship, and here we see the flip side of that, where Zuko is surrounded by family now, and Aang is trying to voice his concerns and like what's going on and no one is listening to him so he feels like he's not heard he feels like he's not respected or valued and he thinks like no you know he's pulling a zuko and going no one understands me um and then even that final line where i need to redeem myself i need my honor back like that's something you've heard from zuko so many times Yeah. yeah and now he is saying it too and the show further draws those parallels between the two by cutting from ang's side of his face back to zuko and i think it's so important that it's on his scar side too this mark that has been following him like as this burden like from the fire nation his whole life and I mean, I I can see how Aang got to that conclusion that he needs to do it himself. And I think that the cinematic parallels is what makes it more important. Absolutely. That that transition is like one of my favorite filmmaking moments in, in this episode. Absolutely. Um, I made a faces. sound when it happened. I don't know what. It was something like, oh. Something. Yeah. yeah, you know. Um it was very good. I mean, they really have switched positions in this episode, like yeah. Aang and Zuko. I mean, now Aang is the outcast who, like, is trying to find his way in the world, and Zuko's the one who feels very secure. He's, like, done everything he needs to. Like, he can go back to living his normal life, but clearly they're right. both struggling with where that has placed them. Right. Um as we transition to Zuko, we get this moment before he does finally see his father for the first time in three years. And he has this moment in front of the curtains into the main throne room. And he just takes a breath. And this is another moment that is elevated in the uh, animation. The amount of effort they put in in this moment. Because of the intensity of the moment in the story. And for the character. Him entering and opening the curtains. And the way the light illuminates on his face. Oh, it's so beautiful. And so tense as well. And we feel the pressure 
of of all of this and we cut quickly back this is one scene where um i think the editing is very well done because it never feels too jumpy but we go back and forth a lot and katara is back in uh ang's room with food and she sees that he's gone and this is another little moment where they add like a handheld effect to the back and forth as she looks around the room and realizes that he's gone just a little pov shot where uh you know, we're put very directly in her shoes, so we feel it very deeply when she just goes, oh, no. She realizes that he's gone. Yeah, those shots just, I've been watching a lot of anime, anime versus, uh, like, Western animation, mm-hmm. and they're just, like, it just doesn't happen that much on shows, like, uh, that come out of America specifically. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, just American cartoons usually are just wide third person that's yeah. it the whole show i mean i'm you not know? gonna get into this but i will touch on it um yeah. the main difference between anime and western animation is in western animation it's animation is viewed as a genre in its entirety and it's aimed for mm. children so they can't do anything too complex with it it's just here's the wide shot here's what's going on watch the characters yeah. where in anime which is much more eastern and obviously um kind of adult focused um or it can Mm -hmm. be adult focused um they have the leeway to not use it animation isn't really a genre it's more of like a medium to tell your story and so they can use like these um cinematic effects to convey their story because adults will get it um and it doesn't have to just be like this very dumbed down um idea of storytelling totally i love that uh we get back to Zuko, as he sees his father for the first time, and he steps out, and we see Fire Lord Ozai's face for the very first time in the show. It's always been, and it's crazy. We're Zuko in this moment. Yeah, you know. Yep. And he's just a guy. I will. But at the same time, I was just gonna say he's like beautiful. I don't know. There's (laughs) something so perfect about the way that they just made his face not like. He doesn't have like a long scar or like chiseled features. He's just like, he almost looks just like a beautiful man. You know what I mean? (laughs) I I don't know. He's Mark Hamill. What do you expect? (laughs) (laughs) That's very true. Um, I I remember being disappointed a little bit as a kid at this reveal because there was so much built up on the hiding of his face. Me too, honestly. Feeling like it was very blank. I do too. Um, as a kid, being very like, oh, it's just a guy. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, yeah, this time, I, I was very think... struck by how he's his dad. I do you know think, what I mean? yeah, the, the, with more you know nuanced perspective, it portraying that he is just a guy, that he is Zuko's father. He's a you know just some man, and uh, that he is royalty, like. He is very well taken care of. Like, he has pristine skin and just sort of a blank, well-kept yeah, face. The you know? show somehow with the, like I said, very limited mm-hmm. animation. We know that this dude has, like, baby smooth, <laughs> like, white porcelain <laughs> right. skin. Yeah. Never leaves the throne room. Right. Never leaves his little thing. You know, like, the thing that you carry kings around in that, like... Uh, palanquin or you know what i'm talking about yeah Mm. he never steps out from that like this dude's skin has like only seen the light of fire you know right this is something that's been talked about all over the internet but it's definitely like this real world parallel in that like 
oppressors and dictators are not these big bad evil people they are Mm. like your next door neighbor they could look like anyone they could come from anywhere um obviously ozai is born into royalty but he he doesn't have to be to oppress people and to control people and we see that in the real world on multiple instances and as a kid you're kind of like what i expected the villain to be more evil looking but as (laughs) an adult i thought his hair would be made out of fire yeah (laughs) like like endeavor from my hero academia where he has like the fire beard and whatever um yeah but as an adult it's more terrifying to just see this normal looking man and to know all of the horrible things that he has done to people right and his own son (laughs) like Mm -hmm. ah he says he sees that the weight of zuko's travels has changed him and that he's redeemed himself and he says the thing that zuko has not known whether he's gonna get or how this is gonna go he says to zuko welcome home and there's some satisfaction to it but also a dark feeling about it where it's like oh okay like this evil evil we're we're like no we want it to go badly so that zuko will not want to be there you know and i love that it's mark hamill because to me this actually feels like darth vader telling luke welcome to the dark side right job sure you know what i mean you hit the nail on the head that's the parallels that the creators were going for (laughs) yep like it's he did it it's like the thing that you that never happens you know what i mean this shouldn't have happened zuko shouldn't cross to the like he was just about to ah but we're seeing what that looks like we're seeing darth vader say welcome welcome to the dark side right you know you did it good job Mm -hmm. i mean even the use of home here is like it has a lot of layers i mean you know home is often associated with like comfort and like where you belong and yada 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 so it's like to zuko like you think about iroh and zuko together Mm -hmm. and their how they've made home Mm -hmm. wherever they can yeah and i mean i ozai says welcome home to zuko when he's never felt more out of place like since he first left the fire nation you know like this this Mm -hmm. is not his home anymore yeah we cut back over to Aang flying over the the rolling waves and clearly very struggling. Like he holds his side, he starts to dip, he almost goes into the water and he corrects his flight pattern. But we cut back to Katara just weeping and so freaked out and she runs to her father who's talking to Bato and Bato just says, I think I'll give you two a minute and walks away. And she vents to him. She says, Aang left. He And uh, he thinks he has to do this completely on his own. Hakoda says, maybe that's his way of being brave. And she says, it's not brave. It's selfish, which I agree with her. But also there's this, you know, dichotomy of the conversation where, as is pointed out, she's not just talking about him. And I think Hakoda recognizes that right away. And is trying to say, you know, like, maybe part of that was trying to be brave and, and help in the world, even if Aang right now is not doing it in the right in the right way. And she says she thinks the whole world needs him, but, but he's not recognizing how much we need him, too. And this is when Hakoda recognizes it. And he says, you're not just talking about Aang, you're talking about me, too. She says, how could you leave us? And, um... You know, she she has this moment, and he approaches her, and she looks at him for just a beat, 
and then embraces him and this hug is uh, i'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it um i'm glad that you say you're getting goosebumps because i was sobbing during this (laughs) (laughs) i mean i was definitely the music too it's so good Mm -hmm. um and she says i understand why you left like i really do so i don't understand why i still feel this way i still feel so sad angry and hurt and it's just like oh such beautiful teaching for children like you might not necessarily understand why you're feeling the emotions that you're feeling, but it's Im- important to actually address them and like talk them through. And having had her say, I understand what you did. Um, I don't think Hakoda needs to necessarily apologize. Like I think they're both on the same page as this needed to happen, but it caused all of this emotional trauma. So all he says, which is I think what she needs in this moment is I thought of you every day, Mm -hmm. every night when I went to sleep, I would lie away thinking of you and missing you so much. I would ache. Oh, (laughs) Oh my God. It's just so beautiful and exactly what she needs in this moment. And just a perfect catharsis for this necessary addressing of how this child being reconnected with her father after so long should go and also here's a father being reconnected with a child that's much healthier and like Mm. talking about what happened between them and here's zuko and we we cut back to zuko and ozai and no talk about what happened in the past except that you killed the avatar you slayed the avatar which zuko's like wait what no hold on what and uh that's all he cares about. That's all Ozai cares about. You killed the Avatar. You redeemed your honor. You're back home. It's all good. And it's not addressing what he did. I'm I'm sort of just realizing the power of that juxtaposition of these two reconvening moments. Me too. Yeah, I didn't even make that connection, so I'm glad that you pointed it out. Um, Katara gets so much hate in the fandom for so many mm. different things, and this is one of them. She's kind of just seen like whiny. She's mad at her dad, and like I and- think the Avatar fandom is like seventy percent. No offense to you guys if you're listening to this right now and you're part <laughs> yeah, of the seventy percent, <laughs> but I feel like they're like the Rick and Morty fandom where they don't get the point they of don't the really show. Really, quite mm-hmm. get it. You know what I mean? Like how? Okay, like Rick and Morty oh, it's awesome. This dude just does whatever he wants and, and he, it's sick. And like the point of the show is that that's not that cool. You know up. what I mean? Yeah. And I feel like on this, people are like, oh, she's emotional. Fuck. And it's like, that's like the point. Yeah. Like people have emotions and, you know, it's a good thing. And like not every single time that she has an emotional moment is that emotional moment one that you will resonate with. But her character had it authentically every yeah. time. Yeah. I don't get. There's a lot of complaints on this uh, show in the fandom that feel more like, uh, oh, I wish they would have written it like this rather than like complaints hmm. against like, th- you know, like how we talked about with th- that one episode in season one. I f- oh, <laughs> the Great Divide. The Great Divide, actually feeling like things are going against characters' uh, traits and themes of the show. Like, wait, this doesn't make sense. That's I get that, but 
Katara being like in tune with her emotions is one of the main things that makes her top three characters yeah. for me. I love Katara. Yeah, don't get me started on the Great Divide. I do not think that it's <laughs> as bad as an episode as so many people make it out to be. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> but like Katara, especially like a lot of people are like, she knows that what she's feeling isn't right. And she can like comprehend like why things are happening. So why is she still crying and whining about it? And I think it's really important here to... When I first saw Katara, like, treating her dad at the very beginning of the episode like this, I was kind of like, what's going on? Like, in the last mm-hmm. season, she was so excited to see her dad. Um, mm-hmm. But she has gone so much. She has gone through so much since then. Like, especially with Aang dying and having to resurrect him and trying to, like, completely just abandon everything they're going towards and just completely rebuild her life. And I especially think that she has been the backbone of her village and the group mm-hmm. and everyone else for such a long time. She's clearly feeling a lot of things, and all of her emotions are manifesting in a way that she didn't expect. And I think, and she says it. Yeah, yeah. it's not. Un- it's not like, wow, why is she doing that? She says out loud, "I don't know why I'm doing this." You yeah. know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, how can you complain about? And I that? just think she even. Oh, sorry, I, I cut you off. No, you keep going. I was gonna say, no, I just I think that's like so important to be like. You know, I'm feeling all of these things, but, like, I can't comprehend them. And, like, it's okay to not fully have control over your emotions and mm-hmm. to admit that, like, you might be behaving in a way that's, like, not necessarily understandable, but, like, you're still trying to figure things out. And mm-hmm. I, I just think a lot of pressure gets put on Katara from the fandom because she usually has her has her shit together. So when she does kind of yeah. lose it and have her moments, I, I mean, she's not losing it, but clearly she's having a moment, then right. a lot of blame gets put on her. And it's it's a very realistic emotion um especially for kids especially for kids who do not know what they're feeling or why they're feeling a certain way a lot of the time you know like six five to eight year olds where this show is aimed at i mean that's probably a little young five-year-olds but still like they have this to a five-year-old i would too i would say you know like six to twelve yeah but like they have meltdowns like they have tantrums and like Mm -hmm. usually it's like what's wrong fandom gets older they forget what it was like to be 12 yeah. you know? <laughs> it's like kids often don't know why they're like feeling this way they can't pinpoint yeah. it and it's so nice to see that in a character on a show yes Ugh, i love katara i do too i mean beautifully Me portrayed by may whitman and what she's able to do in this episode with this scene in particular and how authentic and moving it feels is massive props to her as well as uh andre soliuzzo who uh voices hakoda both yeah, of them holy just crap. the voice acting in this, this episode whew. this mini conversation is making me really realize that we call it ang in the gang but it really is katara in the gang <laughs> from the first episode oh, yeah. it's about katara yeah. we are katara watching this show you know she's the voiceover in the beginning of every episode right. like it's Katara's show. I mean, I'm going to jump back to the desert episode because that's one of my favorites in season two. Mm. Um, oh, shit. I can't say that. That's spoilers for my podcast. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's such an underrated episode because they would have all died had it not been for Katara keeping them all together. Yep. And like that is so much pressure on this 14-year-old girl's back. Like yeah. She's often just written off as like the mom character, but she... She is the right. one who keeps this group together and keeps them going. 
Yeah. And she didn't even have a mother figure to teach her how to do all this shit oh. for most of her life. Yeah. No, you she know? had That's to grow like up, most... like, real quick, real yeah. fast. Well, we, we get back to Aang flying over the ocean, and he's, he comes across this blockade of Fire Nation ships. And so he quickly acts and takes we've seen him do this before i think when in in the the tales of bossing say zoo episode but he takes this like sort of extra superhuman gulp of air and dives down into the water he emerges on the other side of the blockade and starts gasping and he wades his way over to this floating uh, log this piece of driftwood and he has an idea and quick cut to him executing that idea doing this wind surfing on this log just so cool very satisfying to see that um and uh as he's doing it we get the 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 main theme of the show that we hear in the the title sequence and it feels so fulfilling but then we hear a note change it falters falters. a little bit and that's when he falters and he falls and his staff gets blown away and he's just sitting there dejected lying on this piece of driftwood um, and we leave him there for a moment, and we cut to Azula in her bed, asleep, and Zuko bursts in, and he just says, why? <laughs> Azula's like, you're going to have to be a little more specific than that. Why did you do it? Why did you tell him that uh, that I killed the the Avatar? She says, why don't you just con- consider it a, a generous gesture? You know, giving you more reason to feel more at home, all of that and everything, and she then she says, unless the Avatar is alive and you're lying to me, and then if that was found out, your glory would turn to shame and foolishness. Anyway, sleep well, Zuzu. Oh, just the power she has over him in this moment and always, and then using that name that we know, that nickname that we know that he hates. Mm-hmm. Ooh, she has all of the power over Well, him. it's very calculated because, like, oh, if yeah. she had took the credit for it, you know, like, and they found out that the Avatar was alive, she wouldn't lose any of her respect or her um, right. responsibility or, like, no one would see her as, like, lesser, no one would shame her, you know? It would just be mm-hmm. like, oh, how did the Avatar escape from Azula, you know? Right. Um, but the fact that she pins it all on Zuko, she is, she wouldn't necessarily, she wouldn't gain much from taking credit for killing the Avatar because she's already so high up there, and she also wouldn't lose much if that was taken away from her but she knows that zuko has everything to gain from this and everything to lose from if it's taken away so it's just so calculating and yeah it's so interesting how this is what she decides to do and what the future plans like hold for her especially because she's just going off her hunch she doesn't know if the avatar is alive or not she's going off the hunch that zuko is lying to her and there could be a chance that the avatar is alive and if he is dead, like, cool. She doesn't need the credit for that specific right. thing. She doesn't gain anything. Well it's not like it would be a big deal to her. Yep. Oh, man. That conniving Azula. Um, we get back to Aang floating on this driftwood, and he says to himself, I'm not going to make it. I failed. And Roku appears in front of him, and he says, you haven't failed. I am the one who failed. I should have seen all of this. I should have prevented this. Which, and like, also, I'm way... sorry. I agree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. He's right. It's it's a moment of 
redemption being realized by more than the people that we right. have been following. It's like redeem the Zuko world and the feeling, Avatar. did I really redeem myself? Aang feeling like I need to redeem myself. But in reality, Roku feels mm. the most. He's sitting there in the spirit world like, oh, fuck. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> um, and the way this is framed and this scene, here is Aang. Barely holding on to a piece of driftwood in the middle of a tumultuous ocean as everything is raining down upon him. And Roku is floating above him, which is, you know, we get this low angle shot of him, which usually portrays power. But in this circumstance, it, it portrays what he has left Aang with and all of his decisions raining down on Aang, barely holding on in this moment. It's so symbolically beautiful and, and well-designed and well-executed. Um, they continue this this conversation, Roku trying to talk him through and saying, this is really my problems that, that you are trying to remedy here. And uh, Yue appears, the, the new moon spirit, and she comes to him and says, you have already saved the world and you will do it again. You just can't give up. And that gives Aang the motivation and the realization to to have this literal and metaphorical like second wind, second wave where he has this burst of energy and he waterbends this massive wave in the middle of the ocean that he rides. Um, but clearly... It, it runs out at a certain point because he is taken by the water and he washes ashore on this crescent-shaped island. And correct me if I'm wrong, but is this the island where the, the, the fire temple was? Yes, I, it is. Yeah, I thought so. Um, and this the, the ruins are gone, you know, covered in lava of this volcano having burst. And here he is on this island and... Uh, Momo jumps on his face and again as he's waking up this awakening which is this is his process of awakening to his larger journey from here on out and not just like awakening from what even has been happening he's awoken by Momo which I love that that's the little detail like like that's what grounds him and brings him to to reality a bit um and the gang is all there they found him they took Appa and flew over the ocean which explains how you know how they got there and they say we can reconvene with uh, Hakoda, our father, and the rest of the troops for the Day of Black Sun later. Um, but I'm just—we're we're all just so glad you're okay. And this moment of uh, reconvening is so beautiful. And then Ang's glider washes ashore and hits Toph's foot, and Toph's like, "What is this? Uh, it's the glider, you know." Ang finally comes to this is better for now. This is something that will out me as who I am, the Avatar, and it's better if the world does not know that I'm here for now. He finally comes to the conclusion of that arc, and he sets this glider that he has had from day one, the like main symbol that, like, one of the biggest things that we relate to the Avatar, to Aang in general. He sets this torn apart, broken staff into the stream of lava and floats away. And the last image we get is this slowly being consumed by flame and it fades out. Oof! what an opening to season three. I mean, like each, each of the seasons, I, I'm sure, you know, at this point are called books, which, it, you know, 
has a storytelling feel to it and everything. But book one, water, was not only like him needing to learn water, him mostly interacting with water tribe people and in the end of season one coming to the, the Northern Water Tribe, but also just most of the details of the story have to do with them flying over stretches of water and coming to explore the land and all of that. Season two, they go to the Earth Nation. He learns earthbending. There is a green color theme throughout and here we are fire and you're more in it than you expected to be because this is what they've been trying to combat the whole series but now we realize in order to do this right i mean with the strategy of the circumstances they're left but also from a storytelling perspective if you think about it they need to go into the fire nation like it it fulfills the setup of this entire show which it's almost like you think I should have predicted that in the first place, but it feels so fresh and such a big turn on what you subconsciously expected from the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think you were talking about the titles, but even, like, if we're going to expand more on them, like, water is this very, like, fluidity and kind of just, like, go with the flow. Yes. And, like, in the first season, they're kind of just, like, jumping around, doing whatever. Almost like and, a monster of the, the week second show. season. Yeah, exactly. And in the second season, Earth, like, we really see Aang, like, try to be grounded and try to, like, find his Mm -hmm. way, like, as the Avatar. And now Fire, there's, like, a sense of urgency um, behind the entire season because he's already failed the world once. Um, Is he going to do it again? But, yeah, this season really sets it up to, yeah, the fire, even the fire theme is, like, not only are they in the Fire Nation, hence the title Fire, but, like, there's a lot of, like, the world's burning, (laughs) thematic yeah yeah absolutely well i think it's about time we talk about a uh kid moment of the week kid moment of the week week. okay so uh this is where we talk about usually some goofy moment that captures uh the kid mentality of this show that aspect of uh whatever we're watching in this case avatar i i have one there's honestly this was a serious whole lot yeah it was a pretty serious episode Mm -hmm. what was yours Uh, i think for me it's got to be Sokka saying, what else could go? This couldn't get much worse. And then the serpent bursting out and uh, him saying, why Why does the universe always have to prove me wrong? Toph saying, you make it so easy. I, I think that's probably got to be it. Uh, unless someone has another one. I would agree if we clued in. Thank you, the universe. Yeah, yeah, sure. See, I was going to say Sokka greeting Aang dressed in his full Fire Nation garb. <laughs> oh, that, yeah. Like, yeah, no, that, that is such you. a dumb thing to do. Like, he, that would totally right. shock him. But to Sokka, he's just playing dress up. He's just having fun. Yeah, And even, totally. like, the vocal, like, you know, like, they added, like, the metallic yeah. echo. Take your helmet off, dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's got to be it. I think I agree with you, Tyler. Ah, oh, awesome. Well, uh, this has been just a blast. It's so good to get back to Avatar. And uh, Tyler, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, my God. Thank you for having me. Oh, my God. <laughs> we got to do this one again. Um, no, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a ton of fun talking to you guys. So, yeah, yeah. I always love to talking about well. Avatar. Love spending hours talking about my favorite show. So I'm glad I got to do it again. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. If you want to hear Tyler talk more about Avatar uh, with Serena on his show, go check out um, the Avatar podcast, colon, yip yip, <laughs> on most streaming sites. Uh, I believe your social media tag is at AirbenderPod. Yep. If I'm correct. Yep. Uh, so yep, can... yep, pod and Avatar pod were both taken, so I had to get creative. Oh, okay. 
<laughs> Airbender Pod works just great. So uh, please go check them out. Um, if you're looking for another show as well, something maybe a little different to listen to, you can check out Gary and my uh, D&D podcast, Actual Play D&D, with our friends Sam and Dustin. That is called Legendary 4 Adventures. Space Vampires. Thank you, Gary. Uh, you can find that on all streaming sites, as well as uh, all of those episodes, all of these episodes, on legendary4.com. There's comment sections on each of the episodes. Uh, please reach out. Let us know. You can also reach out to us on social media at new lens pod and while you're on that note uh it seems like osmosis jones got quite a lot of reception so if movies are a thing that people like us watching feel free to let us know what kind of movies you'd like us to cover because maybe you'll inspire uh oh yeah i forgot about that one because this seemed to be one of those where someone was like what about osmosis jones and all of a sudden it was like a hit so uh if there's like one of those movies in your past and let us know, because we will definitely consider it. Yeah, we, we might even be ramping up the amount of movies we're doing, uh, w- which would be painful to stretch Avatar out even more, because I just want to talk about it all the time. But, uh, but uh, yeah, that's been successful. I, I hope you enjoyed that, and uh, we'll be talking about another movie at some point. Thank you to Sophina Sago for our cover art. Please, if you're able to, check out those donation links in the description to how you can help out the Black Lives Matter movement in so many different ways. And uh, I think that's going to wrap us on this one. Thank you for listening. I'm Calvin. I'm Gary. And I'm Tyler. And this has been A New Lens. <laughs>